Today on Hype Woman the Podcast, I share with you a special guest. He joins us for an unscripted chat about interracial relationships, Jesus and Sona Parks. Does free body culture ring a bell? Maybe you find it interesting in how couples meet. Here's our story. We share the awkward moments of culture shock and things we have experienced together as an interracial couple, but also his white male perspective on seeing inequality. Also, if you think we should bring him back for more insights, follow us on Instagram and Facebook and leave a comment. Hello, friends. So today on Hype Woman, the podcast, I have with me a very special guest. He calls himself the most awesome master of the house. And I would actually agree with him, except for the master of the house part. So welcome to Hype Woman, Andy, Andreas Volta, my husband. Hello, everyone. So we, we're talking about, I invited him on the show to, because he's the unofficial, how do you say, my go-to person when I run topics and, and ideas and just about every other conversation. We're, we're going to discuss marriage, relationships, culture shock, culture clashes, and where the magic happens, whatever that means. We will find out. <laughs> So let's start in the beginning. You were this 29-year-old young German traveler who like set foot on the shores of Durban some yeah. seven, eight years. Oh, I forgot now. <laughs> More than that. Almost, yeah, nine years ago. And yeah, what did you come to South Africa for? I came there together with a friend as a medical student to do parts of my internship in uh, the hospital, the biggest hospital in Durban, King Edward's Hospital, in the surgical department. It's what many uh, students did at the time because there was a lot to see in South Africa, a lot of trauma, a lot of accidents compared to what in Germany. And yeah, what did you take away from the South African medical system? Yeah, that was the first shock, to, to be honest. We were prepared that it's not like uh, European standards, at least not in the the public sector, the public hospitals, which we went to. I was also shocked how basic, I think, some of the treatments were there, especially for people who don't have insurance. And many people who came there severely sick, severely injured, and they didn't get the best of treatments. I would even go as far as saying that some people who would not have died necessarily in, in a first world country hospital like Germany, but they did die there because they didn't get everything that was possible. They didn't do everything that was possible. Yeah, so that was a shock. But yeah, there was a lot to learn there. Also like how the doctors there, how they treated patients with like less resources and less technology, which in many cases also worked out. That was interesting to learn, good to learn. Yeah, it was a good experience altogether, I would say. And, but yeah, you came there for three months and then we met. Let's hear your side of the story and how we met. Yeah, I think it was about four weeks into my stay there. And I was staying in that complex building together with my friend Sven. And in that complex, there was this one bar that we used to go to because it was just right there. Just a few minutes walking just to get some, you know, just in the evening to get some drinks and it was that evening where there was hardly any, any there anyone there there was never a time there that this place was really full it was not really happening that place so yeah it was just one of these 
days, maybe like 12 people in this whole bar, including the, the staff. Yeah, and I was there with my two friends, Sven and Asif, who we met there. And then we saw this absolutely stunning, beautiful uh, Indian girl standing there in this bright orange dress. And yeah, even like my friend Asif, he noticed and he was like, Andy, you know, he nudged me and he said, Andy, did you see this Indian girl there? I was like, yes, I saw her. Do you like her? I was like, yo, she's, she's really pretty. Come on, let's go talk to her, he said. And I was like, oh, no, no way. Is that super creepy, bro? There was like no people there and like just three guys walking up to this one and only girl basically there. That's not nice. But I was like really, <laughs> I was interested and I really wanted to talk to her, of course. Yeah, so he took me by the hand, wingmaned me, which was this thing there back in the days. Yeah, and he chatted her up. He was like a very social, or he is a very social, very outgoing person. I'm just yeah. going to stop you very quickly. Sure. So that one night, it was raining in, in Durban around about, I think, March. And if Durban people, we never go out when it rains. So that's possibly why it was so empty. And uh, side comment on Asif. Asif's like the, how do you say, the Pakistan version of Keanu Reeves. Very good looking, but with a British accent. So that was yeah. uh, really But way younger. But way, way younger. younger way younger. <laughs> so he knew that you were out of his league in terms of age. And how do you say? Yeah. So he left it to me to talk to you. <laughs> And Sven was in a relationship at that time. So he just had to there make no that clear that the one who had a girlfriend and this one's the single one and I'm and he was too young. But it was, it was really awkward when we think about it. It was like yep. very awkward. As I expected, it was a very awkward situation, a very awkward conversation that we had. And I said a lot of really stupid things that made me cringe afterwards when I thought about it. But somehow you ended up giving me your number. For your very own reasons, maybe you can explain that one. Yeah, so back then I had I had a magazine publication and I was very much into promoting Durban as a city. If anybody goes to South Africa, most people go to Johannesburg or Cape Town. Durban's the city that people tend to leave out. And I love the city. Like I, I really thought there was so much to the city that, that people could discover if they were willing to. Yeah, it's an amazing place. And yeah, so I thought I could show you guys around because I think at the time I had a few other foreign friends that that lived there. They were doing their PhD and I was like, oh, cool, more Germans. Let me show them around and not so that they don't have this this perspective that it's you've got to be afraid and that you, yeah, that it's just not that amazing. But so I gave you my number, hoping that you and your friends would get to know the subcultural events and spots and just like the hangouts, like local Durbanites. And I think, yeah, you came along, but you left your friends behind. Yeah, I think I had different intentions than you did, obviously. No, yeah, you invited us to this art exhibition event a few days later. All of us explicitly as a group. But then I told the guys, hey, hey guys, you can't make it. You have to stay at home. So basically forcing you into a date, like something like that in my mind. Yeah, I was a different person back then, I have to say. Not, <laughs> not as smart, with the different intentions, uh, big ego, but we can talk about that more later. Yeah, so I went there alone, but you were very unimpressed. You asked, like, where, where, where are your friends? And I said, which was not true. Oh, they couldn't make it. They had different plans. 
But yeah, you just, just, just you stuck to your own friends there, and I walked around for a couple of hours by myself, pretty much. So my plan <laughs> seemed not to work out really. But then later on, in the end, we somehow met each other alone, and then we had our first uh, real conversation, like proper conversation. And I got to know you a little bit better, and you told me some very interesting things about your life. And yeah, like it was, yeah. Latest at that point that I was intrigued and I really wanted to get you better, get to know you better. I mean, <laughs> I think I told you everything to make sure that if you were really interested, then yeah, you knew what you were getting yourself into. But yeah, let's fast forward a little bit because a lot of the times I get these questions from friends and, and I, I have a lot of friends or even listeners who ask about how we met. And so that that is just, yeah. I think, a bit of a short introduction about how we met. But I think going deeper, what made you stay? What made you come back to Durban? Because we, you were not looking for a wife. <laughs> yeah, but still... Yeah, yeah, there's many layers to that story, many parts you could talk about. So you're asking me when I came back the next time, which was the year after? No, I think in that three months, I was still not so certain. I invited you to my brother's wedding and we hardly knew each other. Yeah, that was a little bit awkward. But you said well. yes. <laughs> I said yes, of course, I was interested. I was I was always open for these new experiences and getting to know cultures. I was like very interested in your culture and your people as well. So that, that wasn't a big deal for me, a big problem. I was just very curious and looking forward to these things, not necessarily afraid. But yeah, in the beginning, of course, coming there as a single student, still, still at university, I wasn't looking for a wife, obviously. That was not... At least I thought that wasn't the time in my life to do that, of course. So I, I, I don't know. I, like, I wanted to get to know you. I was thinking that might just be a holiday fling or whatever comes of it. I didn't have too many expectations. I was just very, yeah, just intrigued by this beautiful Indian girl. And just see where it goes, basically. What else can you do in the first couple of months? I think that the first crucial moment was when this time came to an end and our stay came to an end, which was basically three months after we met. So in, in that time, things got somewhat serious between us. I mean, we officially started dating, you could say. And I considered us a couple at that time. But then the question was, is that just a holiday thing, like a holiday fling? Or is it going to carry on? So enter the long-distance relationship. <laughs> yes, which is a big deal, like a big decision, especially for you, I think, because I was going back to my home country, to my home place, to finish my studies, and then you decided to follow me. Just a few days after I got home, you booked a plane and came to Germany. Yeah, that was because I was on a semester break and I had a my other German friend who was like, yeah, why don't you go check it out to see if you like Germany? And I was like, huh? <laughs> And I think from then we just like developed this, if you want this to work, then we committed to seeing each other every three months within the long distance. So th this is a question from my friend, how do you build trust in a long distance relationship? So mm. I'm just going to quickly answer that because I think for us, the only way a long distance relationship can work 
is to decide that it has to end at some point. Yes. But in the it's it's not a long-term solution. It's definitely like an interim plan. And I think the only way it worked for us, and this is also because I saw this work with another couple friend of mine who did this long-distance relationship from like South Africa and Australia, is that you commit to seeing each other at least every three months. Like you cannot go longer than I think six months yeah. and assume that it's it's going to stay healthy because let's Definitely be realistic, not. there are fundamental like needs and in a relationship that you need to be physically present. You need to know, yes. you need to be a part of each other's like everyday life. Mm. And you and I will live in completely different realities, in completely different worlds. And that was actually very scary for me because I was living with my parents and you were like, living in in the student town that you were studying in and and you had a completely different lifestyle from mine sure yeah yeah it's a it's a big challenge i think most people can imagine now in COVID times that they realize that this whole online video thing skype or zoom can never be a replacement for actually meeting someone in person never it's it's just like a yeah like a quick easy solution like something that doesn't work out in the long run you will always feel this lack and even though we were skyping pretty much every day and you hated it we i started hated it hating too. it i mean <laughs> first the thought was okay we can skype it's fine no but then after a while you realize this is not really fine it just makes you miss someone even more and yeah it's really yeah it, it doesn't replace it and after a while you feel like the energy draining from you or from this relationship and you really have to make this effort to see someone yeah but we were very very lucky or you could say blessed that we could make this happen every couple of months somehow the money came and the time uh, came that we could take some time off from our studies which wasn't clear in the beginning but it just turned every time we wanted to see each other it worked out that was really amazing so i think that was the only reason we could keep this alive And I think uh, just to add in there, like for me, the thing that stands out is like every time I had to come see you, I had to apply for a visa. Oh, yeah. So for me, it was like I had to have enough money in my account to cover like a three month stay in Germany. So I had to have a lot of money. And I remember at the time, like I was like completing my degree, but I was also doing some part time jobs. And, and it was crazy because... I would get these insane jobs that would pay oh, yeah. like so much, but like enough to cover like the next three months stay. And that, and I just took that as a sign to like, keep going, even though it was still scary. But at the same time, I think for both of us, for what it seems, it was also an adventure. And with the adventure, you don't know how Definitely. it's going to work out. You don't know if it's going to turn out okay mm -hmm. but you just take yeah. yeah you just take each each how do you say each open doorway as a sign okay just keep going yeah literally step by step but of course like i think okay so fast forward two years later we're still dating you came to south africa for a year after you um, completed your degree because i was still yeah. finishing mine i had six months outstanding And then, yeah, you stayed in South Africa for a year without a job. And we decided, like, in that time, we, were, we weren't going to stay together. But we just wanted to see how it would be to have this 
normal functioning relationship yes. as a normal couple. And then within, I think, was it within six months of that, then we got engaged? Yeah. But was that hard for you to be in South Africa for that time without a job? Yeah, partly yes, partly no. Of course, I was looking forward to work as a doctor. And that one wasn't possible really at the beginning or in, in that whole time because it, it proved to be very hard to get licensed in uh, South Africa. Very long, tedious process, expensive with no guarantees of it working out. So there's been many reports about people trying to get the license, um, people from Europe especially, and never um, achieved. Now, like the application got lost, they said, or whatever happened there. So I was put off of that pretty, pretty much. And also knowing that having this idea that when you finish your degree, we might be able to go back to Germany so I can finish my specialization there. That was the plan. So yeah, I wasn't completely without a job. Like I was without a paying job, you could say. Mm -hmm. I just did, I did some stuff on the side, uh, some stuff on the internet, uh, translating or transcribing uh, texts and earning some euro money, but it was just enough to keep us afloat. But what I did do was I worked for a for a charity, like a community outreach center, which was very interesting and also quite fulfilling, basically. I went there to ask for some kind of medical job, something medical related, but also they said they cannot employ me without being licensed as a doctor, so I can't put hands on any patient without being licensed since I am a doctor. But they said that they need someone to drive food to like kindergartens. Like they were called drop-in centers, places where disadvantaged children could go during the day and they were being fed, they could play, they were in a safe environment. And yeah, they just needed a driver to, to bring the food and other things to those places. And how could I possibly say no? So I was like, yeah, I'm in. And yeah, it was charity work, didn't earn any money there. But it was very nice, very fulfilling. I had some very great experiences working with the children. And I did end up doing some medical stuff as a, how do you say, in a consulting manner. I just, yeah, just some, giving some tips. It was okay. <laughs> it was okay. Life-changing? Yeah, quite. It's a different experience, like different from what you expect. That's life. You have this plan worked out for you. You study, you start working uh, in that field or whatever. But yeah. Love came in the way. Love came in the way. Which is a good thing. <laughs> But yes, talking about that, let, let's talk about marrying different into a different culture. What was that? What is, how did you adapt or how do we adapt to each other's cultures? Let's talk about your experiences because you first met my family. Yes, I did. Yeah, but like I said earlier, I wasn't too scared of course you're always nervous when you meet your girlfriend's parents for the first time i think anyone is and yeah i was to a certain degree i was never really worried though because i'm very open very flexible person i think and i can really adapt to other cultures really well and other people were different from me but yeah i wasn't nervous enough but when i met your parents they were very welcoming yeah your mom was Maybe I didn't know her at that time. Now I know her. And yeah, <laughs> how do I explain this? I was more like, if you want to talk about being scared, I was a little bit more scared maybe of your mom than your dad. Your dad is like this very 
where you're a very open, smiling, always laughing person. And he really took me in really well and asked me all kinds of questions. And we had a drink together, like we still do today. That was all fine. Your mom was a little bit in the background and I really couldn't, I, I couldn't tell what kind of person she is for a while. Okay. Uh, like only like until like much later, some weeks later when I got to know her better as well. No, but it was all fine. There was like no bad moments there. Like they were really open. They asked me about my myself, my life, my family. It was good. But culturally, like what stood out to you? Yeah, it's a good question. Again, there's many layers to that one. Hey, I think one thing you could talk about is how someone like me, like growing up in Germany or in, in Europe generally, would see the Indian culture. Everyone has this idea of this other cultures. Everyone has this idea of how Indians are, how Chinese people are, how African people are. We have this picture in our head, which is often which is using not the correct. It is a stereotype. That's it. It's not correct. But this is what you would obviously like We were so naturally... disappointed that you don't have any Lederhosen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry about that. I'm not from Bavaria. <laughs> That's the stereotype that people have of Germans, hey? We all are Bavarians and we all have Lederhosen and uh, we all drink beer, which is correct in my case. But yeah, not always. It's stereotypes. That's what you use or you're forced to use as a template because you don't have anything else, because you never met like uh, Indian people before in that environment, in that culture. Yeah, I had this idea in my head and some things were confirmed. I mean, like this, the thing that you are very traditional, like you have this, uh, the Hindi religion, or which is more of a tradition as well. And you have this shrine at home, you have all these figurines uh, of goddess, goddesses or gods standing around. Like these things, like somewhat confirmed, I recognize these things. It fit into the template. The food definitely fit into the template. Like, of course, you were expecting all these amazing curries, which was totally right, like... Your family like makes this amazing food, and yeah. But other other things maybe weren't like it. It wasn't that. How do you say conservative? Maybe as you would expect. Like you would think that they are like very religious, very conservative, very like cautious. If someone else comes in the family and and wants to daughter, that was maybe like this little fear as well, or this idea. But that wasn't really the case. They were very easygoing, very open. They traveled uh, the world before. They traveled to Europe back in the days. So they also had like some idea where I was coming from. And that made it a lot, lot easier. Let's talk about yeah, what have you learned, though? That's a great observation. But what have you learned? What you're telling me is, is like this observation as an outsider, but now like getting deeper into it. And I get a lot of these like, from, from friends, like the question of, uh, I know an Australian friend asked us, How did we adapt to each other's cultures? Like once we're in this relationship, there's some things that obviously irk you. Mm. And there's some things that for me that I was like, okay, this is nice to observe and to experience like once. But then after that, I'm distance. like, yeah, or from a distance. But after that, I'm like, okay, this is not for me. And, and Going to the sauna in Germany. But that, that's not part of your, it's not your, your family tradition. It's, it's like you can do without it or you can, it's not fundamental, yeah. but something that you do. But it is a national tradition, actually. Um, there's this term, FKK, which translates to free body culture. And the idea is to be naked in a group without being sexualized. So it's a way to practice and to um, express your discipline and self-control. It's a bit paradox, but that's how it is. 
And yeah, like to this day, uh, some of these clubs are like 95 years old, around 100 years old. Today, there's these sauna parks you can go to. And when you go to the sauna or you swim in the pools, you're actually not allowed to wear any clothes. So you have to go in naked. You can use towels, of course. And when you're moving between the saunas and the pools, you can wear your bathrobe. But generally, the idea is to be yeah, naked in the pool and naked in the sauna. It's a perfectly normal thing. So yeah, that that's completely foreign for me as a South African because yeah. not sexualizing nudity is yeah like my my mind can't it was hard for me but now yeah now i've gotten a bit used to it yeah there's a lot of naked people there and mainly white naked people and the first time i experienced this i was like oh my god i am just going to be the the show of this place like how could you put me into such a position being the only dark person in this whole place (laughs) just as god made you yeah How was that for you? That was one of the big adaptations for you. Yeah, of course. Like coming from a very conservative like background and I was really awkward. Like it was, I mean, I still cringe when I think about it. But the thing is, Germany is so cold. You're in winter that you get desperate. So something that we say is desperation makes us brave. So yeah, like I still hate it. I still want to cover up every time I'm I'm in those places. But... It's just that it gets so cold that, that this, the, I actually really enjoy how I think the saunas and the steam rooms, I've always used steam rooms in South Africa, but in, back in South Africa in, in, at the gyms, like they're separated, they're not co-ed. Mm. Like women use it separately, but even then yeah, you have the, the option difference. of using your swimwear or, or using a towel as much as I can. If I can use a towel in there, I, I would probably do it. I, I obviously like... I'm, I'm still a little bit irked by it, but it's something that I'm willing to push through to to like actually enjoy the fact that for those few hours I, I get to be warmed up. So it definitely took me out of my comfort zone. And yeah. Yeah. That happens when you clash with cultures. You are automatically out of your comfort zone and you have to find these, yeah, these safe spaces maybe or to change your perspective to, to adapt to these things. Yeah, it's, it's the challenge that we face, but I think we did pretty well. Interestingly, the biggest adaptation for me culturally wasn't the Indian culture. It was the fact that you were a Christian and I'm also a Christian on paper, uh, being, being German, like most Germans are, are Christian. But you were very serious about it. You were practicing serious, committed uh, Christian. You went to church uh, every week, every Sunday. You prayed regularly. Sometimes twice a week. Or sometimes even twice. <laughs> yeah, you read your Bible, you prayed regularly. And, and you were very open about this and very direct about this from the beginning. Like this, the second time you spoke, basically, you already told me about that, where you're coming from in that regard. And that, for me, was the may, way bigger culture shock. Not the Indian thing. I could live with the Indian thing. I like the food. I could adapt to all of that. Um, the Christianity thing, that was a problem for me, honestly, in the beginning. Yeah, like many Germans, that was, we That are, was meant to like be a red flag for you. Okay, if this guy's not serious, he's going to run. <laughs> it was a red flag for me, too, when you told me about it. <laughs> like, sadly, most Germans, they are, as I said, Christian on paper, but they don't really practice. Most of them, not everyone, of course. But th- this is but where I disagree with you because this is the thing, right? At that time, I had a, a, a really close friend who was Christian and, and she was German. 
and she was dating the South African. So for me, it was like, oh, but I... Yeah, I'm very, yeah, I have to say that I think that it's the exception. I don't know the statistics exactly, but from where you of are coming all from. the people that I know, of all the people that I knew, all my friends, acquaintances, whoever, there was not a single person who was serious about Christianity. I remember meeting maybe once or twice people who talked about, like young people in my age, who talked about God and were actually believing in it very rare occasions because yeah. i remember you were like oh i'm a scientist i there's no like you could yeah. not enter like Trying believe that, that, that science and the relationship with god could exist together so yeah. what what changed yeah it was a long a very long very hard process so like yeah as i said when you told me about it first you said yeah i'm i'm a believer and also later on when things got more serious letting me know that if I'm serious about this relationship that you want to get married. You're just doing this basically to build a family, not just to have a boyfriend for I don't know how long. And yeah, which includes all the whole package, getting married. And also you would expect your your husband to to believe in God and practice Christianity and to raise your children in the same way. That was like a prerequisite for you. And yeah, that was for me... It was a huge mountain for me. I could not imagine. I couldn't just flip the switch in my head and be like, okay, I believe in God, no problem, I'll do it for you. That doesn't work like this. We know that. But the thing that counted and why we stayed together is I was willing to try. I was willing to give it a shot. I was like, I really liked you. Or let's say I loved you. I loved you and I really wanted to make this work. I wanted to make this relationship work. And a part of me also wanted something better for my life. It's a whole longer story if you really want to go into detail. But I we was, can do that in another episode. That we can do in another episode. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, there was this part of me that was very troubled and Andy's hero journey. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was very troubled. I had a lot of issues, and I, I wanted to to yeah work on that. I wanted to attack those issues and to work it out. And it included, it, it needed this big change in some aspect of my life. And I was like, maybe that is it. Maybe I just have to believe in something bigger and maybe I can get better or become a better person through this. I wanted to do this. But yeah, so I was just, yeah, I was just willing to give it a try. And I went to church with Sorona. I met all her friends from church. I attended the, the prayer meetings, the Bible study groups. Yeah, it was, it was hard, I really have to say. I In the beginning, I, I looked at it from... <laughs> what a sacrifice. Yeah, what a sacrifice. I looked at it from a like very scientific point of view. I was like trying to Even we came study to us, the, to, the technologies. To Mozambique on a yeah. mission trip. That's all, all, also a different story. Well, your first mission trip, you thought you were going on a holiday. Yeah, I thought I was going to go meet boys. <laughs> I didn't know anything about Jesus back then. I was like, oh, cool. Hot guys, Mozambique beach, let's go. At least I wasn't that naive. <laughs> when I went on the mission trip, I knew what it was about. I knew it's not going to be a holiday. Yeah, no, but yeah, we did all these things. And yeah, this huge, massive wall that I had built around me, it really started to crumble very slowly, but it did. And yeah, the whole story is something for a different day. But in the end, I came around, you could say. I didn't, I wasn't really quite there yet when I proposed to you though, which is interesting. So uh -huh. something that that I was thinking about or this question that I would like to ask you, what went through your mind when I proposed to you and I wasn't really fully committed to Christianity yet? I think, yeah, like that was, of course, I guess for me, the thing was 
that love is a risk and it's also God is love, he's in control. So I trusted not you, but him, that if he had brought you to me, that there I could also see like there was this potential or rather like there was, there was like, how do you say promise, like promising potential. There's some verse in the Bible that says, if you want to tell if a person has, is filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you have to look if they have the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit is, I think, love, peace, joy, self-control, and maybe I'm missing out one. But anyway, so no one knows for sure, and, and that's just the risk you take. And in everything in life, as much as you can have these, as much as you can have this strategic plan of how you want it to be, there's always this the space of, but what if this doesn't mm. work out? What if? And that, I think, for me, is also the invitation to, like, say yes to that, because if it scares you, it could also challenge you to grow. And I think my challenge was to, like, love you no matter what, okay, if God loves me, no matter what, then, and if I call myself a Christian, then I've got to display the same kind of love to you so that mm. you can know through me that, hey, if she loves me no matter what, then, then maybe this God that she loves is yeah. not that bad after all. Which is one of the, the big reasons or the big things that that made me believe eventually seeing this display of, of love and commitment also not only in you but also in the people from church your friends and parts of your family yeah that is really this display seeing that people actually do this and they are happy and it really changes you and it can transform you yeah that that was a big deal yeah but like any decision in your life i think that's how life works you have to make decisions based on, on the information that you have, but you will never know what's going to come from it. You will never know exactly what the outcome will be. You cannot plan every year of your life in the future and it will exactly work out the way you plan it, of course. And these I, moments and, where and you even, have to just jump off the cliff. Jump off the cliff. <laughs> jump off the cliff and know that God is with you and that you will land softly. Okay, he will be there for you. <laughs> You're a bit dramatic with those illustrations. <laughs> it is. It's, 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 <laughs> Uh, but no, like, I, I also think that for me, it was a little bit more strategic. I had to ask myself, okay, if this does not work out, would I still be okay? And I've been in relationships before where I think the guys were like incredibly possessive and to the to extent almost like those relationships traumatize me. And then when those mm -hmm. things ended, like, It was not okay. It was really, I was not okay. Like it took me like some time to yeah. come back from that. And for me, with us, I like that there's a respect, that there's a, okay, there's a space in our togetherness so that it's like we're together, but we're not like suffocating each other. And you know that you've got to do what you have to do and you help me do what I have to do. And I like, like we said, like things can change. And if it changes, mm -hmm. like, we'll still be okay. At least, I don't know, that's what I had to tell myself. <laughs> yeah. I have another question. What about culture clashes? What exactly is the question here? 
For me, one of the culture clashes is, I think, let's talk about traditions, because when I first visited you one one Christmas, it was really awesome to have this like cold, wintry Christmas that you see in movies. But then once I moved over, once we were married and, and I stayed, that became really difficult for me. Like this idea of a traditional white Christmas actually became something that I like I actually didn't like it anymore and I missed like the warm South African Christmas mm. and for me like you like Germans are way more rooted in tradition than South Africans are like so I think because I lived in a time in South Africa when we transitioned from apartheid to like a democracy and so even our holidays changed over that time so I was, I like not having a fixed tradition, whereas you grew up always having traditions, like you guys celebrate carnival yeah. every year. And, yeah, and Christmas goes a certain way and Easter goes a certain way. Yeah, I don't know. But how did you, okay, how did you become okay with, um, basically for both of us, we realized that we had to create a new world within both of our different worlds because... Yeah. There was no way that I do not 100% fit in with your family traditions. And I'm pretty sure that if we moved to South Africa, you wouldn't 100% fit in with my family tradition. So, yeah. yeah, we talked a lot about that in the time. And I think we decided pretty early on that we are going to do our own thing. We are a new family now. And also when our first daughter, Noelle, came around, that we have to make, just you know, to create our own traditions, however that looks like. Take some parts of each or make up something completely new, it was fine. I didn't have a problem with that. Of course, I liked the idea of having this traditional celebrations like I used to. But yeah, it, it wasn't a train smash for me to change. And I really also learned to appreciate warm Christmases as well. Spent several Christmases in uh, the Southern Hemisphere as well at the beach in the warmth which is also very nice no problem with that and it hardly ever snows here anyways in Germany <laughs> there's hardly I just remember maybe one or two Christmas white Christmases usually it's just cold and wet and rainy and muddy nothing much to miss there yeah no but we we have these family gatherings sometimes it was just our little family which is fine we have the food we do the presents but of course now especially for me being a Christian now for the last couple of years, it is obviously more God-centered and Jesus-centered as well, which it wasn't before. And yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I really love that now. Let's talk about raising bicultural, biracial kids. Yeah, that's a big topic, hey? What do you want to talk about specifically? I mean, what have you learned? What have we had to learn together or adjust or unlearn in our mindset? I think something that, yeah, something that really, that you, some, yeah, you start noticing things that you were not noticing before. I mean, in a white culture like Germany, you know, like a white, like mainly a white nation like Germany, and also me growing up not really having friends from a different race or different countries. There's so many things you're not aware of and this you can call it systematic racism or just like a lot of ignorance happening here for example there is this thing called hautfarbe which you you used to learn when you like grow up and in kindergarten hautfarbe it means skin color 
and is an actually part of the, the color, what do you say? Color um, chart. And the color chart, yeah. Like this, it's like this, basically this kind of pink, pig skin color. And we used to call, we used to call it Hautfarben, skin color. And we never questioned it because it just looked like our skin, our white German skin. And now when Noelle went to Kita and she came home and she said something about Hautfarben, I was like, wait a second, that really doesn't fit anymore. Like, it's not your skin color. Like, why do you call the skin color? Like, Hautfarben, it's not your Hautfarbe. Yeah? Oh, it was the one day where she and took Serona, me. And when she found out about that, you, she like got really upset. No, it was, we were walking in, in uh, yeah, I'm using the German word now, the, 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 like the drugstore, and she said to me, hey, mommy, do you know what Hautfarbe is? I said, yeah, sure, it means skin color. And she said to me, yeah, daddy's color. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. So I, that was the first time I heard about that. And I was like, yeah. yeah. And so it actually got me thinking that you can decide not to teach your, your, your child about race and skin color, but then they will learn about it from someone else whose perception of it is completely different, different yeah. to how yours is. And so then it became very necessary for me to actually become very vocal about yep. diversity and, and like teaching her that, listen, there's other colors, there's other skin colors, and they're all acceptable and they're all beautiful. Yeah. And she was lucky enough. Things are changing slowly in Germany, even though there's a lot of things to, to talk about and uh, to work on, definitely. But yeah, she was lucky enough to be in in two kitas and two kindergartens where there is a lot of other kids as well, like uh, yeah, multinational from uh, yeah, all, all kinds of races and skin colors, all different shades, which is very nice. So she wasn't the only one who was just slightly darker. So that is good. But yeah, the teachers mainly, they were partly unaware of these things. But when we addressed these things at the kita, they were very open to it, which is nice. Also my mom, who was also a kindergarten teacher, When we talked to her about it, she started like trying to talk about this thing at her kita where she was working, which, which was not the one that our daughter went to, a different one. But she yeah, started to teach the children about different skin colors and that Hautfarbe is not just one like color in the color chart. Yeah, and also the, the teachers at the kita where she is now, they also asked for this book that explains the different skin colors so they can teach it to the children. So there has been some... A movement there and acceptance, which was good. But next question: Do you think that there's a a responsibility on white people, white men in particular, to speak up when they see, like in these both these situations, none of it would have changed if we hadn't proactively yeah. made a point of saying, "Listen, this way that you've been teaching is wrong." And it should actually be this way. Do you think that there's an onus on like white, yeah, white men, white majority? 100%. It's the most important thing. We can observe that in the last couple of years with the whatever, all the things that happened in the US, the Black Lives Matters movement, George Floyd, and how more and more white people are also called to and are actively doing in public. Um, speaking out against it yeah so yeah the white people have caused this problem or are causing these problems and we are the ones to who have to demolish it yeah uh, we have to learn and we have to tackle that problem yeah 
And also for me in the last couple of years, I developed like this sense for it. I didn't have it before. I, like I said, I didn't have much friends who had a different skin color. So I, I was like very ignorant as, and I didn't really know much about it. Just only when I met you, you taught me a lot. Um, also living in South Africa, of course, taught me a lot about all these things and all the issues that are actually happening there. Many of them under the surface uh, without really being able to see them, which is uh, very dangerous. Yeah, and it's important to speak out. Whenever you witness something that is not okay, it's so easy to justify something that people say or to just be like, oh, it's not my problem, why should I say something? It's not going to change anything anyway. All these things, you, you just really have to speak up. And yeah, I've become very sensitive to these things. And then you want to talk about this incidents? At Friedrich Harbor last year. Yeah, just as an, a small example. It's a very small thing, but essential. We went to Friedrichshafen in southern Germany to visit some friends. And we were about to get into like a public bus to go back to, our, to the house of our friends. And there was a guy standing behind me. And this guy was just uh, like noticing a, a big African family on the other on the other side of the bus stop. They were like waiting a, to board. They were also waiting to board a, a bus, a different bus though, but they were waiting to board a bus. And he looked at them and I just heard him say clearly, is das hier der Negerbus oder was? Which basically means, is this the, the no, you know what it says, yeah? It was something like really bad that he said. And he just muttered it to himself, but I turned around and I told him, dude, what is wrong with you? Just shut up. You cannot say that. And if you have a problem with that, then just go somewhere else and take a different bus. And he just looked at me. It was like he was totally flabbergasted and he didn't know what to say. He just mumbled something and you could see he was a bit shocked. So probably no one ever did that to him. And yeah, but you have to make people aware that these things are not okay. You can't say these things, even if you're just saying it to yourself. Yeah. That was very interesting because my friend that was with us and he was half South African, half German and and he ended up actually making excuses for the guy. So that was also like a reaction that I think we've been conditioned to just play down these incidences. Like we don't want conflict. It's not a big deal. Carry on. Mm. But somehow it, it still sticks with me because... I think raising two girls now, both multicultural, bicultural, it, it is really necessary that they see injustices and that they know that they can speak up and not be like, make themselves small to fit into any of these spaces. Just to wrap up, let's talk about, do you have any questions? <laughs> not really. We, we talked about the main things that you wanted to talk about. Of course, there's more, many more questions, many more things to talk about. Okay, last question, Andy. How South African are you? What is your favorite South African phrase? It's luck. How South African am I? Okay, let's, let's end up with that, that scenario because that's a funny story. Um, so we were newly married or I think we're just dating. I'm not sure. It was pretty serious. And yeah. I decided, or you decided to take me to this dam nearby. I did. I, I did. It was my thing. And it was uh, Shongweni Dam. So yeah, South dam Africans, Lake. if you're listening, you probably know this area. And uh, we decided to go... Yeah, kayaking. Kayaking. And Paddling then there was... The there was this opportunity to visit the dam wall. 
And yeah. uh, we, and we had, had a guide with us. We had a young, so had a, a young, a young, like sort of, I think it must, must be like 18, 19, maybe early 20s, a white South African guy, blonde, tanned, so probably a surfer. The South Africans call these kind of guys like jocks. And, and so he took us on this tour. And, and you want to finish that story? Well, it sounds like you almost sounded like you were describing me. So maybe I am pretty South African. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> Yeah, so now the story is this guy was showing us around and he was in the in the kayak before us. And yeah, we went up to the dam wall to climb up and, and jump down into the water. And on this dam, like often you see this, like a building um, with, with, with glass uh, windows. And I just asked him, what is in this little building on the dam? Do you know? And he wasn't so sure about it. And then he said, I think it's just pubs. And I didn't understand. I was like, what is in there? It's, it's just pubs, just pubs. And I was like, what is pops? Like, I was I was thinking chicken pops. I was thinking, like, pop is, like, dead, my pop. <laughs> I was like, what is he talking about? And so when she just laughed, like, she just died laughing. She almost fell off the boat laughing. So I was like, come on, tell me, what is he talking about? And then she's like, Andy, it's pipes. It's just pipes in there. I was like, oh. <laughs> But but he you look confused, he looked confused. Both of you were looking at me to like sort of like be this in-between translator person and I just waited for the two of you to, you always do to this. figure it out. You love to create awkward situations or you just let them happen. Because <laughs> that's where the magic happens. That's where the magic happens. So yeah, thank you for being um, a guest on the show. Maybe we'll have you back for more. Depends if my people like you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. 